Hey, welcome back to the Konyo History Club. We're happy you could join us again. Take a seat, grab a drink, and let's get this meeting started. I'm Ben, and this is Camille, and today we'll be talking about the cholera massacre of 1820 and one of the Philippines' national scientists, Ernesto O. Domingo. And before that, we'd like to apologize for being away for a couple of days or weeks. We've been Months. busy. <laughs> Once, maybe a month or two. Um, we apologize for being away for so long, but we're back, and we're happy to be here, and... Let's get it, boys. Let's, let's get it. So, our first guy for today is Ernesto O. Domingo. He was uh, one of the national scientists of the Philippines who was conferred in 2010, and he specializes in infectious diseases, which is very relevant right now just why i chose him mm-hmm. for for this episode like all national scientists he was you know of course he was an achiever he was a graduate of the university of the philippines in 1961 he was the eighth in his class of 100 and he scored 98 in his physician's licensure examination well specifically in internal medicine which was his passion Dr. Ernesto Domingo acquired fame because of his specialty in liver cancer and hepatitis. He led the led the war against hepatitis. Mm-hmm. A little background to Dr. Domingo. He was born in Malabon. He he lived a simple life. According to his friends, he was a keen learner. Even at a young age, he was already perceptive and had a very scientific mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was. Already exemplified when he went to college, he had a three-year pre-med course in UP Diliman and went to UP Manila for his um, medical studies. And when he was finally um, a doctor, he spent almost all of his time researching and serving in Philippine General Hospital. And when he was a resident there, he became particularly interested in the hemodynamics of portal hypertension. That was his first line of interest. Uh huh. So, uh, this hemodynamics of portal hypertension caused by schistosomiasis, or let's just call it schisto. <laughs> you want to say that for me again? <laughs> schistosomiasis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so, together with his colleagues, they performed a classic study on the hemodynamic changes in the portal circulation. Of patients with hemohepatosplenic form of schistosomiasis japonica. <laughs> so, our smart listeners, if if you guys want to correct Ben, please please email us. I would gladly correct Ben pronunciation for you. So yes, yun yung uh, <laughs> pronunciation natin today. It's schistosomiasis japonica. I'm not sure if it's Japonica or Japonica, but that's what we're going with. Okay. So they were able to trace that the block to portal blood flow at the pre-sinusoidal level is caused mm-hmm. by the classical pipe item fibrosis around the intrahepatic radicals of the portal vein. So still, at that time, there was very little known about the cause of the obstruction in the portal vein system, and thus the etiology of this neglected disease remained a mystery. However, that did not, you know, deter him. Mm-hmm. And he continued his study in hemodynamics and eventually it led to progressive development in determining what was the cause of the obstruction of the portal vein system. This later on became a, a significant step in disease management. So, Ernesto Domingo was a very big figure in handling diseases. So mm-hmm. I think it was very very relevant now because we're in dire need of local disease management. No? Yeah. I think so too. People people who are experts in that field. Mm-hmm. And it's important that they be listened to. <laughs> like you know, parang heed their advice because they're experts for a reason. So, Dr. Domingo is one of the exceptional elite in the Philippines. 
And this was exemplified as he received so many honors throughout his career, including being named among the 50 men and women of science, uh, receiving the UP Alumni Association Lifetime Achievement Award, the Civil Service Commission Dangal ng Bayan Award, and the Philippine College of Physicians Most Outstanding Physician Award, among numerous others. He was given the rank and title of, as I said earlier, National Scientist of the Philippines. So, sobrang konti pa lang, like 30 to 40 people pa lang yung nanineam. National Scientist of the Philippines or Pambansang Alagad ng Agtam ng Pilipinas. Sobrang sexy. In 2010, and this is the highest award any Filipino scientist could ever achieve given by the national government. And he was also awarded the Ramon Magsaysay Award in 2013. His academic and teaching career, you know, it continued to go upwards from there. Like he spent several years uh, doing his fellowship abroad and when he returned to the Philippines, he taught for 34 years to UP Manila and actually, he's still alive. <laughs> at 90 years old, he is still teaching at UP Manila mm-hmm. and is one of the you know, forefront uh, professors in the medical field. He is one of the only two university professors in UP Manila who spent most of his adult life within the university serving serving the students and serving the country. Mm-hmm. Also, Dr. Domingo was an architect of the fellowship programs in the different clinical departments of several, well, primarily PGH and then Pinaturnaren, ng other med schools. Mm-hmm. So this became his his fellowship program became the model. Mm-hmm. He also organized the first formal national postgraduate circuit course that accelerated the development of continuing medical education in the country. Dr. Domingo continued his war against hepatitis and schistosomiasis by establishing the first schistosomiasis research la- laboratory. And of course, UP Manila to the Rockefeller Foundation. This served as the precursor of the same lab at the Research Institute for Tropical Medicine, or RITM, of the Department of Health. Dunag arise yung interest niya sa liver disease. Well, a specific liver disease, which is viral hepatitis. So, primarily hepatitis talaga yung expertise niya. It became, you know, the centerpiece of his research. So, the conception of the liver study group in UP Manila marked the start of the battle against hepatitis. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Domingo and the late Dr. Augusto Lingao are considered the founding fathers of this group. So, they championed the investigation of hepatitis in the country and are credited for saving the lives of millions of Filipinos Damn. from the notorious fastidious hepatitis virus. So at that time, there were no data on hepatitis. So zero, zero, zero data talaga sa Pilipinas. Mm-hmm. And sila talaga yung, sila yung nag-usher mm-hmm. ng research doon. Like they're the ones who took the time and effort to set it up and gather. As in, walang, walang international sources then for local mm-hmm. Hepatitis, local viral hepatitis. So they were the first ones. So uh, together with the RITM, they provided a very good picture of the burden of the of the disease in the country using the rapid epidemiologic assessment of HBEAG positive. Kung alam yun guys, tell us HBEAG. Okay, for anyone who wants to. Um, educate us on the implications of that and what those letters mean. Please, please email us. So yeah, together with again RITM, they made a very good picture mm-hmm. of the disease through the rapid epidemiologic assessment of the HPE AG positive individuals and the microparticle agglutination test. So they were able to study viral infection among blood donors, medical personnel, and patient groups. So one significant information that they established is the vertical transmission of hepatitis B virus from infected mother to child. Do natin alam from then 
nung 19 nung around 1980s to 1990s nalaman natin na transmissible yung hepatitis from the mother to the child so aside from hepatitis Dr. Domingo also performed extensive studies on hepatocellular carcinomas. His group was able to establish a causative link between viral hepatitis and liver cancer. They provided evidence of patterns of transmission of HBV and the risk of developing liver cancer. So at that time, liver cancer was, and I think at, at this, at present time, liver cancer is a very difficult a disease to treat, especially back then, when liver transplant was not yet available. Mm-hmm. So almost all modalities of treatment, like chemotherapy, resection, and the combination of other treatments, failed to cure hepatocellular carcinoma at that time. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Domingo and his team resolved that the best way to reduce the prevalence of liver carcinoma was to prevent HBV infection through dun 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 vaccination. It took a while for the government to pay attention to his research, but Dr. Domingo was a strong intellectual force. Being a national scientist, well, he was a national scientist then, but you know, he was he, he was, was there. He was he was, he was a way. big dog. Yeah. He was a big dog. Yeah, he was there. He was the time. Yeah. So uh, he was an intellectual force. You know, he succeeded in making his findings the basis of the decision of DOH in developing its policy on hepatitis B immunization. Okay, yeah. That's why that's why naging requirement of hepatitis B immunization. Because of this guy. Dr. Domingo. That's Hell why pag, yeah. nag, pag, uh, pag uh, and then when we're trying to apply for a job or applying for college, college. Kailangan, yeah. ng, kailangan ng vaccine. It's because of this guy. So kung hindi kayo mahilig sa injection, kasalanan yun. <laughs> Pero, magpasalamat kayo. kayo. Kung hindi kayo mahilig <laughs> sa injection, wala kayong choice. Magpa-injection. Wala kayong magagawa. Wala kayong magagawa. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of injections. When I was a kid, my parents had to hold me down to to get me to have my injections and, my, and all my shots. But I'm so thankful na like they patiently powered through it because I mean vaccinations and immunizations they're essential they're scary like needles are scary but you know we need them we need that we need medicine exactly you wanna live <laughs> you gotta do it you gotta do it you gotta do it yeah, it's Especially because of babies. this guy yeah if there's no Dr. Domingo there's a lot of health complications then keyword vaccination so yeah He's our main man and continues to be our main man at these dire times. And quite recently, around 2016, he gave a speech during the 18th anniversary of the National Institute of Health in UP Manila. So he gave a speech entitled Empowering the Filipino Scientist for Nation Building. So sobrang key. Sobrang key. From, from the title itself, sobrang key ng... Uh, speech niya. Yeah. And from his speech, he had like three three main points. Three primordial requirements that he proposed. One is provisions, a provision of the necessary tools of research. Two, supportive and enhancing research environment. And third, security for the scientist or researcher. So for many years, many decades, sobrang kulang tayo sa research. Kulang yung Pilipinas sa research. And sobrang daming talinong Filipino scientists na hindi na, na super utilized ng Pilipinas. Kasi wala tayong funding, wala tayong nga, wala, wala tayong tools for research, wala tayong magandang research environment, and we don't provide that security for those researchers. So, yung nangyayari is that, one, pumupunta siya sa ibang bansa. Na-utilize siya ng ibang ibang countries yung yung talent nila bukod sa kabilang sa other countries and two yung iba nag-iibang yung ibang line of work na lang pinapupunta sa iba napupunta sa capitalism that's why yeah like i mean on this podcast we i mean we try to we try to um steer clear of politics because it's very divisive 
and you know we we already have so much stuff going on that if you're trying to listen to this podcast as a respite from daily struggles um we try that's why we try to keep politics away from the podcast but when it comes to healthcare and um medicine and providing medical aid to people politics is not far off especially when it comes to research and with politicians who are opposed to research you know who they are like we're not going to name them anymore you know it's hard not to bring that up during this kind of conversation because yeah like they're opposed to it not not just opposed they belittle research um they don't think it's something worthwhile um some politicians thrive on misinformation misinformation and keeping information away from people and you know this pandemic all the more brings to light the importance of of research and disseminating proper information always and vaccination proper vaccination and yeah i mean uh, as i said um apologies to anyone that doesn't want to hear anything about politics while listening to this podcast but you know sometimes it's inevitable to talk to to, to at least you know at least bring up a little bit about politics with something like a topic as far reaching as healthcare exactly i mean ito na si dr dr domingo one of the forefathers of infectious diseases research mm-hmm. he became political ito these are his words from his mm-hmm. from his speech mm-hmm. and itong three primordial requirements that he said are primarily politically charged you know? yeah yeah so uh, When you reach that stage of of science, you know, when yeah. <laughs> or research, I mm. can't help but be yeah. political. Yeah, because because you have to be part in the conversation of during policy making, because that's the thing you can't make policies without without the experts, without the people on the field who know what they're talking about. Research and the proper experts in the field should be put in the circles. That make the policies. When we're talking about policy making, it shouldn't be like you know you're handing out positions to people, ima, you know, mga padrino, mga compadre. It's that 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 shouldn't, you know, that that kind of thing shouldn't have anything to do with positions uh, where we make policies because to make good policies, again, especially in healthcare. Experts need to be consulted because they're the ones who know what they're talking about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I just want to emphasize that we have a lot of brilliant Filipino scientists out there, yeah. and again, one big example is Dr. Domingo, who is you know one of the forefathers of uh, research in infectious diseases. And from his studies, from his speeches, we can learn a lot mm-hmm. from the sci- We can learn a lot about the scientific community, how ano bang progress. Ng country natin mm-hmm. in terms of research and our general knowledge about these certain things. Mm-hmm. So if you want to combat this pandemic right now um, efficiently, we don't we we don't just need to utilize like foreign foreign sources. We don't need to rely too much. Well, uh, inevitably we will need to rely yeah. on foreign foreign sources, but You don't have to look far. Right? Mm-hmm. No? Sa, sa, sa mga scientists natin dito sa Pilipinas, mm-hmm. they are very much capable. Yeah, yeah. And if we really need, if we really want, yeah, b- better healthcare and disease management in the country, then we should rely more on our Filipino scientists and Filipino mm-hmm. Filipino medical experts who know the country, the, mm-hmm. the medical climate more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. buhay Pilipinas. Is is Sir Domingo still alive? Yes, he is fortunately still alive. He is mm-hmm. ticking at 90 years old. Our Whoa. boy. 90, man. I I imagine he must be like rolling his eyes <laughs> at everything that's happening right now. Like imagine if you were him and after everything that you've done, 
to to push for vaccination, to push for research, for medical medical research and healthcare and policy making. And then you see you see what's happening and the government response regarding the pandemic. Or imagine <laughs> imagine how how pissed he is, diba? Para I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and you know, I mean, if I were him, I would be so disheartened to know. I mean, considering he's like he's the guy who pushed for vaccinations in the Philippines, and knowing that according to research, compliance for vaccinations have gone down so much. Ever since the Dengue scare, that's why there are diseases that used to be um, eradicated in the Philippines already have now returned because of failure to comply with the vaccinations that we need because of politics essentially. And now with the vaccination fiasco, all the more I feel like people will be more skeptical about what vaccines they should be taking. And who they trust when it comes to medical information, and it's just scary. Listen to our scientists, please. <laughs> <laughs> please. Eh, sobrang dami nating brilliant scientists, mm-hmm. like si Doctor Hilario, ano Doctor Hilario Lara, si Doctor Fedel Mundo, yeah. who is very famous, the first woman doctor sa. Harvard Medical School, mm-hmm. and who also pioneered a lot of things in the Philippines. She also made an incubator. Well, she, she was she did she did not invent the incubator. She made a localized version of incubator that mm-hmm. can be created using like local resources. Like mm-hmm. I think it was a bamboo incubator. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think I've heard of that. She pioneered that, and. So much more, and quite recently, um, there were six Filipino female scientists mm-hmm. who garnered attention for several discoveries, and you know, we we shouldn't ignore uh, the pleas and the brilliance, the academic brilliance of these Filipino scientists. Mm-hmm. Much more now, na we have a, a pandemic. Makinig tayo sa mga experts because clearly they know what they're doing. For my part, I'm going to be talking about, as you mentioned a while ago, the cholera massacre of 1820. Before I get into that part of the story, maybe I should give a brief background of the cholera epidemic of the 1800s. According to a book by Robert Peckham about the epidemics in modern Asia, in 1817, An epidemic of cholera broke out in Bengal in the Ganges Delta. Cholera is an acute diarrheal infection most commonly brought on by ingesting food or drinking water contaminated with the bacterium Vibrio cholerae. It was not until 1883 that the German physician and bacteriologist Robert Koch isolated the causal agent in India following his earlier research during an epidemic in Egypt. The disease's relatively short incubation period and high death rate made it particularly feared, as did its acute symptoms of diarrhea and vomiting, with sufferers acquiring a distinctive gray-blue complexion from dehydration, dying within days. The pandemic occurred against the backdrop of major geopolitical shifts, notably the ascendancy of the British in South and Southeast Asia. Conflicts in Europe from the mid-18th century had ramifications in Asia. The Seven Years' War involved European powers in a struggle over colonial possessions. Possessions meaning countries, <laughs> in case that wasn't clear. <laughs> Colonial possessions in North America, Central America, West Africa, India, and the Philippines. The British briefly occupied Manila, the capital of Spanish Philippines, between 1762 and 1764. Subsequently, the Napoleonic Wars and the defeat of Napoleon 
by combined Prussian and British forces had significant repercussions in South and Southeast Asia. The infection proceeded along developing imperial circuits, and its diffusion coincided with this expansion of British influence in Asia. In late September 1820, an outbreak of cholera occurred in Manila, affecting Filipino villages along the Pasig River, especially in Tondo, to the northwest of the city. Disease followed a devastating typhoon, which compounded the crisis. To stem the epidemic, Spanish authorities sought to prevent villagers from using river water. A hastily assembled public relief committee was established. Although there are no reliable statistical data, contemporary accounts suggest that mortality was in the thousands. Streets were described as being full of carts conveying the dead, while those unaffected by the disease were overwhelmed and unable to tend to the sick or inter the dead. With that background, we move on to how the massacre came about. Hindi pa pala massacre yun. Hindi pa. Now, what a lot of people know is that the Philippines was hit hard by the cholera epidemic, as I mentioned a while ago. But maybe what is not as well known is that the same epidemic, the cholera epidemic of 1820, led to a massacre by Filipinos of foreigners, not Spaniards as we would have guessed, but instead French scientists and Chinese individuals, and I think some British. During this time, there were French researchers in the country who were collecting samples from the Pasig River. While they were there, cholera continued to ravish the country, leaving dozens and dozens of people dead and sick. So rumors started spreading that these scientists were poisoning the water in Pasig to as far as Laguna de Bay. The truth was, however, the opposite of such rumors, since the French were actually there to offer medical assistance. But due to the growing rumors and consequent distrust, the people rejected such claim that they were helping people. And instead, more rumors spread that the French were actually administering poison to the sick to achieve their ultimate goal of annihilating the Tagalog lineage. So, the rumors whipped people up into a frenzy, and when everything reached its fever pitch, the unspeakable ensued. Now, the details of the event can only be known through the lens of the accounts of the people who were there during the massacre. So, I'll be sharing some accounts that have often been cited by historians to recount the events. Um, actually, a good summary of different accounts uh, regarding the events of October 9th, 1820, are mentioned in an article written by the renowned Filipino historian Ambeth Ocampo. Among the other accounts he mentioned in the article are those by J.W. Campbell, an English naval officer, and Robert Morrison, a Protestant missionary in Canton, among others. But what I wanted to focus on today was um, on three accounts specifically. One by Paul de la Gironniere, Another by Peter Dubel, and lastly by Charles Louis Louis Benoit. So first we begin with Paul de la Geronniere, who Mr. Ocampo described as a Frenchman self-styled as Lord of Jala Jala or Laguna. Jala Jala? Yeah, I don't know, it's the first time I've heard of it also. Uh, Mr. Ocampo notes, however, that this eyewitness account, although most famous, should be best left as a footnote due to its exaggeration. Um, I will I will explain more why later, but for now I'll just read his account as he wrote it. So um, Paul, I'll just call him Paul. Paul writes as follows: I had only resided a short time at Cavite when the terrible scourge, the cholera, broke out at Manila in September 1820 and quickly ravaged the whole island. Within a few days of its first appearance, the epidemic spread rapidly. The Indians succumbed by thousands. At all hours of the day and of the night, the streets were crowded with the dead carts. Next to the fright occasioned by the epidemic, quickly succeeded rage and despair. The Indians said, I, you know what, from, from 
this point forward, I'll just change the word Indians to Filipinos. But the word that he used here to refer to Filipinos is Indians. The Filipinos said one to another that the strangers poisoned the rivers and the fountains in order to destroy the native population and possess themselves of the Philippines. On the 9th of October, 1820, a dreadful massacre commenced at Manila and at Cavite. Almost all the French who resided at Manila were slain and their houses pillaged and destroyed. The carnage only ceased when there were no longer any victims. It was now time for me to get out of the dangerous situation in which I was involved. 400 Filipinos surrounded me. The only way of dealing with them was by audacity. I said in Tagalog to the Filipino who had attempted to stab the captain, You are a scoundrel. The Filipino sprang towards me. He raised his arm. I struck him on the head with a cane, which I held in my hand. He waited in astonishment for a moment, then returned towards his companions to excite them. Daggers were drawn on every side. The crowd formed a circle around me, which gradually concentrated. Suddenly, a native soldier, armed with a musket, broke through the crowd. He struck down my adversary, took away his dagger, and holding his musket by the bayonet end, he swung it round and around his head, thus enlarging the circle at first, then dispersing a portion of my enemies. Fly, sir, said my liberator. Now that I am here, no one will touch a hair on your head. In fact, the crowd divided and left me a free passage. I was saved without knowing by whom or for what reason until the native soldier called after me. You attended my wife who was sick and you never asked for payment of me. I now settle my debt. Meanwhile, tranquility was restored at Cavite and Manila. The Spanish authorities took measures to prevent a recurrence of the frightful scenes I have detailed, and the priests of Cavite launched a public excommunication against all those who had attempted my life. Now, as I mentioned a while ago, this account has a lot of exaggerations. For example, the 400 Filipinos that surrounded him, the fact that he hit one of them with his cane on the head, and that someone, a mysterious savior, helped him because he gave medical aid to, um, to the savior's wife at some point in time. We don't know if these are true or untrue, but I guess it's here. So that's one account. Another is by Pierre Dubel or Peter Dubel. He wrote a letter and detailed the events that occurred. So I'm going to be reading a portion of that letter. He writes, My dear friend, I arrived with my wife and daughter at Manila last March. We were received with great apparent attention, politeness, and hospitality. After living there, a couple of months, however, I perceived that there existed a vast deal of jealousy and envy against all strangers, and particularly those who resided or intended to form establishments in the country. So I think he, he's referring here to the Spaniards. It will be made more clear later. Those people could not divest themselves of this feeling, even towards those whose capitals, talents, and industries were directed to the most laudable pursuits and promised to produce great public as well as private advantages to the colony. This envious disposition on the part of the Spaniards increased daily against the strangers until an opportunity presented itself of gratifying their malignant hatred in the most cruel and bloody manner and without themselves appearing to have anything to do in the business. Cholera made its appearance in the beginning of October last carrying off great numbers of Filipinos every day. The humane French and other strangers who beheld these miserable wretches, that's what he said, wretches, dying around them without any medical aid, freely administered what medicines they had, and were actively and daily employed in endeavoring to alleviate the distress and cure the complaints of all those who lived within the sphere of their exertions. This also became a cause of jealousy and hatred, and the villains began immediately to exasperate the Filipinos by saying the poisonous disease was introduced by the French and the other strangers. They have even poisoned the waters, and they administer poison to the sick, purposely to extirpate 
the whole race of Tagalians. The ferocious Filipinos wanted nothing farther to excite them to deeds of blood and plunder. So on the 9th of October, about 10 or 11 in the morning, they collected, to the number of about 3,000 men, armed with pikes, knives, and bludgeons, and proceeded coolly and deliberately to plunder and massacre all the strangers on whom they could lay their hands. I have not time to give you the details of this shocking business, but you will certainly read them in the gazettes as I have sent both to England and Russia very full accounts for publication. Suffice it now to say that the governor and the authorities were vainly implored for assistance. They came, it is true, with the troops, but it was only to behold with sang Freud the horrid spectacle. Not a musket was fired to save the lives of those unfortunate and defenseless strangers, who to the number of 39 were plundered and cruelly massacred. Some of them were so cut up and mangled, it was impossible to recognize them. As the most of them were Roman Catholics, they were all collected and thrown into a hole together without the shadow of a ceremony or a stone to mark their graves. What is worse, the last accounts from there down to the 9th of November mention that not a Spanish life was lost nor has a single native as yet suffered punishment for this most atrocious and horrible deed. My house was attacked and pillaged. My nephew and the Mr. Prince of Boston, who lived with him, made prisoners, and after being near two days in the hands of the Indians, suffering the most abominable treatment, they luckily escaped death. 85 Chinese and 11 English seamen were also plundered and assassinated. I must close my letter by informing you that the Captain General has refused all the applications for indemnification from those who have been plundered, so that as yet, neither the punishment due to the assassins has been inflicted nor redress made to the unfortunate people who were robbed. Your sincere friend, Peter Dobell. That's the account from Mr. Peter Dobell, who was the Russian consul in Manila at that time. Damn. And last we have the account of Charles Luis Benoit, who, according to the article by Mr. Ocampo, was an army medic commissioned in the Spanish forces in the Philippines. So according to him, the roots of the massacre can be traced back to lingering antipathy to the foreigners following the British occupations of Manila, which ran for about 20 months in 1762 to 1764. Benoit attributed the rumor of the water's poisoning to an unnamed Dominican rector of the University of Santo Tomas. He published his observations supported by the medical histories of eight patients he treated, as well as autopsies undertaken on the dead that littered the streets of Manila. Benoit also blamed the government in its attempts at a cure, making makeshift stands set up around the city to dispense a mixture of brandy and quinine, whose effect, according to those who took it, was worse than the cholera itself. So already, we see a lot of parallelisms with these stories and what we're experiencing right now. But we can get into that more later. But to close this story, I'll leave with a quote of Mr. Ocampo's article holding a similar observation, stating that, quote, In retrospect, the 1820 cholera epidemic and massacre resonates two centuries later. He says, History does not repeat itself. It's people who do so with disastrous results. Crazy. And this that's is 1820. Yeah, 1820. And still you and see some parallelisms. 200 years later, Here we are. Deja vu really appalling how people can just keep continuing with this like political propaganda yeah mm-hmm. and try to trying to advance their own interests at the expense of the constituents the people mm-hmm. and it's like they have no conscience mm-hmm. in wasting or just playing with other people's lives mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just sad that majority of the population um, relies on certain 
certain modes of communication or certain media that they're often fooled into believing certain things. Yeah. And, and given the advanced age of some people and the trajectory of technology, it's hard to discern which sources are real, which sources aren't. Mm-hmm. Especially with confirmed use of troll farms, you know, and fake news abounds. Um, I think it's come to a point that news and information is weaponized. I feel like the reason why we're still stuck where we are in the same position as we were nine months ago is because there's so much politics that goes on around and within the administration of healthcare that the people there who want to give healthcare aren't able to because some people want to have their names there and if their names aren't there they don't want it they're looking more towards what they have to gain out of it rather than what everyone else has to gain from it if that makes sense okay okay that does well well bago nang, this is a brand new idea now but yeah go ahead going with Yeah, our discussion can you know with Dr. Domingo with how science and um health should be or will eventually be politicized mm-hmm. or politically charged. I like uh, how my story connects with yours where mm-hmm. see Dr. Domingo well he doesn't really push push for it, but the narrative that we've created from that is there should be an alignment of the sciences with politics. Yeah. So, so as to create broader, broader policies, broader mm-hmm. laws that would impact the population better. Yeah. And whereas in your story of the color in 18, 1820, the narrative seems more like how politics corrupts the politics corrupt science and yeah. plays it to its advantage in order to create havoc, create chaos, yeah. and creates this sort of propaganda to favor their. To favor their own objective, mm-hmm. so I like that there's this um, dissonance again. And going with your narrative, mm-hmm. um, the recent uh, so from the beginning of coronavirus, when we still didn't know a thing about it, there was corruption in who the World Health Organization and UN. There was a lot of um, talk about it. Concerning Director General Tedros Adhanom, mm-hmm. I believe, where he was sort of defending China, and he didn't acknowledge. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't acknowledge that China's responsible, mm-hmm. and there was also reports that China was funding the World Organization and several mm-hmm. departments of the UN. So there's been a lot of talk in. The different sectors of these international governing bodies about corruption and being controlled or manipulated by certain foreign entities. And while um, science and politics should go hand in hand, there should still be safeguards so in these shema abuse because mm-hmm. when they get too enmeshed, then people people of certain power can abuse that, mm-hmm. such as. Young color in 1820, and even the current pandemic now, yeah. where people take advantage of their positions, they bribe, they threaten people, given their power and hold in these like scientific institutions, so that they can uh, usher these objectives. So I'm just speculating. I'm not saying that China's guilty, mm-hmm. maybe, <laughs> but from uh, from the news reports, it seems that the director general of WHO. Was trying to avoid any accountability from China mm-hmm. regarding coronavirus, since uh, China was one of its biggest benefactors or financiers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is one of the biggest examples where there should be certain uh, countermeasures mm-hmm. for these institutions. Yeah. While they should be aligned in policy making, they should still be unbiased and. Uh, Uninfluenceable <laughs> by other <laughs> external forces. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm saying. I definitely agree. You you kind of have to balance these two things because they're not. It's not like you can exclude one from the other. In order to make a uniform healthcare system, 
healthcare workers and experts have to be in the room when policies are being made. But at the same time, these kinds of information shouldn't be wielded to gain political power. So it's kind of a balancing thing, diba? Politics, and when I say politics, um, I mean like, you know, one-upping each other every time, should be left by the door. You don't bring that into the room when you're talking about trying to help people. Because once you start bringing politics into helping people, you're not actually helping anyone. Yung, yung, sa akin, yung, yung part ko naman is I'm just emphasizing on well, science and politics should go hand in hand. Dapat meron talagang reckoning point or there should be certain safeguards para hindi maging political puppets or political instruments yung mga scientists. Because, yun nga, scientists are supposed to be um, people of wisdom, people of knowledge. They're supposed to be people who are supposed to clarify things, enlighten us with things that we don't know about. And if we combine that with politics, nagkakaroon ng misinformation. They become yun nga, instruments to spread misinformation. For example, for example, we're not sure if it's real, pero for example, like si Secretary Duque, yun, you know, mm-hmm. his... He has been abusing his position as, for example, lang, I'm not saying it's real. <laughs> for example, the Secretary Duque is abusing his position and power as secretary and as a doctor to spread misinformation about the vaccines, their efficacy, and the measures that the government has been taking because of his position and the prestige that his position provides. But people believe him. You know, people take his word because he's a doctor, because he's a man of science. People shouldn't, or scientists, shouldn't bring themselves to that point where they become instruments of political propaganda. Because people become skeptical. And when you when, when you can't trust um, scientists, parang, sino na yung paniniwalaan mo? Yeah, exactly. So parang, there should be certain safeguards for that. And... There should be some form of what's that term? Transparency. Yes, yun. There should be transparency in the dealings between uh, officials and scientists. Because uh, for sure, do not malalaman if there's like secret, secret dealings, if there's conflict of interest. So uh, institutions and governments alike should implement these safeguards to ensure an unbiased, unbiased policy making. Yeah. And while we're at that, yun, gusto ko lang emphasize yung uh, sabi ni Dr. Domingo. Yung three pillars na yun, three primordial requisites, necessary tools for research. One, sabang kailangan natin na, like, you know, paano, na, paano tayo makapag-step up? What, why do we need to rely so much sa ibang bansa, like, instruments na, when we can have those for ourselves? Next, a supportive and enhancing research environment. Like, our political environment, For research is, and as you said earlier, like, hindi tayo supportive, hindi tayo, yun nga, may certain senators, may certain <laughs> officials, hindi naniniwala sa research. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't see the point of it. Parang binawasan ata yung uh, budget ng uh, research, eh. Yeah, it was slashed. So, dapat magkaroon tayo ng ganun environment na we see its important significance in nation building among others. Sobrang important ng research para umangat country natin. Lastly, security for the scientists and researchers. And uh, yeah, that doesn't provide any security to any of our, any of our scientists. You know, they don't Sadly, feel actually, secured. That's, yeah, that's the reality. Yeah. Like, research is underfunded. That's why people don't want to go into research. I wanted to go into research, but, you know. Exactly. And um, so that, you know, we don't research. There's also, you know, actual security. Like some scientists don't they don't feel secure. Merong report about yung Filipino scientist, Filipino botanist na napagkamalang NPA. And actually, salita ngayon, mm-hmm. one of one prominent botanist was shot, killed along with his colleagues. Samay later, a few years back, a decade or so back, mm-hmm. kasi napagkamalang silang NPA. Pero clearly, they were just scientists. Parang Sila, parang, 
checking up on their science stuff, their their botany. Mm-hmm. And scientists shouldn't be put in that danger, in that unnecessary danger. Mm-hmm. Parang they're they're not they're doing something legal. They're doing something that could benefit our country, could benefit the world possibly. And they're being exposed to such unnecessary danger. And I think that one one of the issues in security besides stability and financial, like actual yeah. security, is uh, some scientists now, given uh, this political climate where uh, red tagging is so easily done and information is also easily corrupted and jumbled up. Mm-hmm. Parang, a scientist can easily be, be painted as someone worth arresting yeah. or shot. Yeah, because it's gotten so with, bad with na arresting. they're not even just not listened to. They're antagonized. Like, they're branded as terrorists. It's that bad. Respect your scientists. There's still hope for, there's still hope for change, but we have to do something about it. It's not something that comes easily. It's something that we have to really work for. With that, we end our meeting. Thank you so much for joining us again this week in learning more about Philippine culture and history. Let us hear from you and tell us how we can do better. Reach out to us on Twitter at Kony History Club or email us at konyhistoryclub at gmail.com. We hope you come back next week for another meeting where we can embark on another journey towards the unknown. Again, I'm Camille, and that's Ben, and this has been the Kanye History Club. Happy New Year, boys. Uh, we, again, we apologize for our hiatus, and mm-hmm. for this year, we hope to create more podcasts. That's the goal. And you know, uh, to improve our content as yeah. well. Thank Salamat you. at paalam. Salamat at paalam. Kunsamatum est. Oh my god. Ateneo